Bankman, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing The Color Purple. First, how are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. We bumped this coverage of The Color Purple back by a full week. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for being patient. Thank you so much for sticking around. I was sick. I was straight up sick. Thankfully, it was not COVID. I believe I caught some sort of... It was a sticky bug is what it was. It stuck with me for over a week, so I'm I'm glad that we took the time to really put our ducks in a row, put our eggs back in the basket, and I'm feeling much better. You would not, oh, trust me, you do not want to hear how my voice sounded a little over a week ago. It would have been, oh boy, it would have not, it would not, no, 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 that's what I say to you. That's what you would have said to me. I don't want to hear you when you're like this. Please, if you're feeling sick, I implore you, do not ignore your symptoms. Take the time to rest. If you have a ball of phlegm the size of a ping pong ball, paying rent at the back of your throat. I empathize with you. Take care of it. Ooh, defeat that phlegm ball. Ooh, ping pong it right back into the oblivion. That's what I say. It is now time for the show facts as they relate to this week's subject, the color purple. Show me the show facts. All right, Patty, Benny, we're here in the stage left studio. Let's start doling out those show facts. The Color Purple was a 2006 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on Broadway on December 1st, 2005 at the Broadway Theater, appropriately enough, and ran 
stand for 910 performances. Not too shabby. The book was written by Marsha Norman, who also wrote the book for such shows as The Secret Garden and The Bridges of Madison County. And the music and lyrics for this show were written by Brenda Russell, Allie Willis, and Stephen Bray. Allie Willis, okay. A pair of notes regarding Allie Willis. She won a Grammy Award for writing the Beverly Hills Cop score before going on to compose one of the most famous TV theme songs of all time. Patty Benny, can we play that, ooh, that inescapable world famous TV theme song? My goodness, I watched every episode of Mad About You. That was my favorite show growing up. Ooh, it takes me back to those, ooh, those 90s nostalgic days. What a show, Mad About You. We'll hear more from Brenda Russell, Allie Willis, and Stephen Bray during our show-related ephemera segment, but we want to hear about them now. Well, you have to be patient. Hey, okay, you waited a week for this episode. You can wait a little bit longer for that show-related ephemera segment. To review, we have a four-person writing team this week where two of the members are people of color and three are women, which on paper, at least, seems like a fine setup for artistic collaborations. To I do not have to imagine, this is what I mean to say, I do not have to imagine a time when a musical version of The Color Purple would have been written by a majority or completely white team. The basis for this production is Alice Walker's 1982 novel of the same name, and Menno Meyes' 1985 film adaptation, which was directed by Steven Spielberg, and stars Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah Winfrey, Margaret Avery, and Danny Glover. The director of the original Broadway production of The Color Purple was Gary Griffin, musical director Linda Twine, orchestrations Jonathan Tunick, choreographer Donald Byrd. We have scenic design by John Lee Beatty, lighting design by Brian McDevitt, sound design by John Weston, and costume design by Paul Taswell. Paul, hello again, I recognize that name. Hello, Paul. The original Broadway cast of The Color Purple was as follows. We have LaShawns, the inimitable, ah, ah, the incomparable LaShawns, leading the way in the role of Seeley. We have Brandon Victor Dixon, Felicia P. Fields, Renee Elise Goldsberry, hello, Kingsley Legs, Krisha Marcano, Elizabeth Withers, Mendez, Broadway debut for Elizabeth, congratulations. We have James Brown III, Latrissa a. Coleman, Carol Dennis, Anika Ellis, Doug Eskew, Zipporah G. Gatling, Charles Gray, James Harkness, Francesca Harper, Kim 
Kimberly Ann Harris, Broadway debut for Kimberly. Hello, congratulations. Shantila Johnson, Grayson Kingsbury, J.C. Montgomery, Lou Myers, Angela Robinson, Baia Saeed Gaines, Nathaniel Stampley, Jamal Story, Broadway debut for Jamal. Congratulations. Leon G. Thomas III, Maya Nikengi Wilson, and oh, last but certainly not least, we're rounding out this cast with Virginia Ann Woodruff. That's the whole cast. We gave you each and every name. Fantasia Barino served as one of several replacements in the role of Seeley during the original run. So LaShawns, as I mentioned, played Seeley right at the top of the run, and eventually Fantasia stepped into the shoes, the shoes of that part, which makes her the first American Idol winner to appear on Broadway. I'm having, and here's, I'm going to make an admission here, I'm having trouble determining the first American Idol contestant to appear on Broadway. That's the distinction I want to lock down. Who was the first American Idol contestant to appear on Broadway? And, you know, it might, I think, I think, I don't know if I'm right on this, but my theory is that I believe the answer to this question is season one's Tamira Gray, who booked Bombay Dreams after appearing on the reality show. Perhaps our listeners can solve this mystery. Maybe I've already solved the mystery. If you have better information, please reach out to me. I want to know. Can you show me Tony Nods? Okay, so the show won Best Actress in a Musical, which went to LaShawns, and it was additionally nominated for the following Tony Awards. Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Marsha Norman. Best Original Score, Brenda Russell, Ali Willis, and Stephen Bray. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Brandon Victor Dixon. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Felicia P. Fields. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Elizabeth Withers Mendez. Best Choreography, Donald Byrd. Best Scenic Design of a Musical, John Lee Beatty. Best Costume Design of a Musical, Paul Taswell. And finally, Best lighting design of a musical, Brian McDevitt. That's 11 Tony nominations in total. One award when all was said and done. That seems like a crazy ratio. More awards, please. More awards for The Color Purple, I say. Let's talk about the plot of The Color Purple. Yes, huh? Okay, let's do it. We open in Georgia in the year 1909. 14-year-old Celie and her little sister, Nettie, are doing everything they can to hold on to what remains of their innocence despite the looming presence of their father, Alfonso. Alfonso has already raped and impregnated Celie and given her child away, and when she gives birth to a second child, he tears the infant from her arms without pause. In 1913, Alfonso meets with Mr., a man who is nearly as brutal as himself. Mr. wants to marry Nettie. Alfonso refuses, offering Celie instead. Mr. is insulted. He says, I don't want Celie. She's ugly. But when Alfonso offers to throw in a cow, Mr. begrudgingly accepts the deal. The sisters are separated, if only temporarily. You see, with Celie out of the picture, Alfonso begins to prey on his youngest daughter. Nettie flees to the relative safety of Celie's new home, but Mr. soon casts her out, declaring the sisters will never see each other again. I should note this occurs after Nettie rejects her brother-in-law's advances. Nettie promises to write to Celie, but Mr. makes himself terribly clear. If he ever catches Celie checking the mailbox, he will kill her. Flash forward to 1920. Mr. son, Harpo, arrives in Georgia with his new wife, Sophia. 
Harpo has no idea how to handle Sophia, as she is a particularly confident and headstrong woman. Mister advises his son to beat Sophia. Celie, having never lived through a day that did not involve abuse, agrees with her husband's counsel. Harpo thanks Mister and Celie for their time, attempts to beat Sophia, and is promptly pummeled for his actions. Sophia beats him instead. Bam, bam, bam. Sophia confronts Celie in a moment of rage. Why, why, why did you tell my husband to beat me? But when she recalls what our heroine has to put up with, she advises Celie to wise up and fight back. Beat the fuck out of mister. Bash his head in is what she says. Sophia then proceeds to leave Harpo in the dust, which inspires him to open a juke joint and arrange for a high-class jazz singer named Suge Avery to perform. Suge manages to make her way to Georgia, if only by the skin of her teeth. Booze and drugs and late-night living have nearly pushed the starlet through death's door, but Celie vows to nurse Suge back to health. Suge and Mr. used to be something of an item, which means she is all too aware of his dark side. When Suge and Celie develop romantic feelings for each other, the jazz singer compels our heroine to see herself as someone of value and real beauty. In a stunning development, Shug discovers a letter from Nettie that had previously been hidden by Mister. She takes the letter to Celie, who sheds tears of joy. Nettie is alive. She had not heard from Nettie throughout this entire period of time, but she's alive. Act 2. Via their correspondence, our heroine learns Nettie has been teaching at a missionary in Africa where she lives with the couples who adopted Celie's babies. Good news is soon followed by bad. Sophia has been arrested. She refused to work as a servant for the mayor's wife, and when the situation became heated, she beat the mayor within an inch of his life. Bam! Bonk! Bonk! As a result, Sophia will now be forced to work for the mayor in lieu of jail time. Flash forward to 1932. Suge compels Celie to leave Mister and move with her to Memphis. Mister is infuriated by the idea, but Celie stands firm. Not only is she going to leave Mister, she is also going to place a straight-up fucking curse on him. I curse you, Mister. A curse upon your head I place. In other news, Harpo and Sophia's marriage woes are resolved when Harpo realizes how foolish he had been. And when Mister begins to experience the effects of Celie's curse, the negative effects, no positive effects for a curse. Harpo orders his father to set things right. Or, you know, suffer. You wanna do you wanna do that? You wanna keep suffering? Alright, fine. Smash cut. Memphis. Shook and Celie have settled into a life of peace and comfort. While writing to Nettie, Celie reveals her newfound talent for making pants, a talent she has turned into a thriving business. Back in Georgia, Harpo and Sophia are astonished to learn Mr. is trying to bring Nettie back to America so she may reunite with Celie. Unfortunately, his efforts have borne little in the way of fruit, probably because of the curse, and so Harpo and Sophia promise to help Mr. in any way they can. Shug and Celie have a frank conversation about the state of their relationship, which has always been complicated and is only becoming more so. Shug loves Celie. There can be no doubt about that, but she is not and may never be the monogamous type. She asks for Celie's permission to spend six months with a member of her band, a request Celie grants with sadness and relief. Celie loves Shug in return, but more importantly, she has finally come to love herself as a woman capable of standing on her own. 
several years pass. How many years exactly, Jonathan? I don't know. Several. As Seely prepares for a 4th of July picnic, a familiar voice calls out from the distance, Seely, Seely, it's Nettie, and she's not alone. Seely's children, Adam and Olivia, are here to embrace their mother for the first time. Seely looks to the sky and thanks God for this miracle, along with everyone who helped make it possible. That's it. The end. Curtain down. That's the plot. For the purposes of this week's episode, I began my research by sitting down with the 2005 original Broadway cast album of The Color Purple. I followed that with the 2006 Tony Awards performance of Hell No and The Color Purple. This segment, this performance, was introduced by the show's producer, Oprah Winfrey. I suppose we should have mentioned that at the very top of the show facts. But yes, Oprah Winfrey was the, was the Big, was the big voice behind getting this show to Broadway. Big, big time influencer when it comes to this show. To this show, we need a higher quality upload of this performance. May I say that? I shouldn't be watching a clip from 2006 while wondering if it's from the late 1960s, okay? We need all of these performances in glorious HD on the internet. And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, let me see if I have this right. John Lee Beatty's scenic design for this production involved mammoth screens that display the clouds from the TriStar logo. I mean, hey, I love that Pegasus more than anyone, more than anyone. But screens have no place in the color purple, okay? Make something real for crying out loud. Don't show me a glorified screensaver. I can get that shit on Windows 98, John. Mr. Beatty, paging Mr. Beatty. This whole show takes place outdoors, essentially. Can we have something organic on stage? Something I can touch, if you please? I also have vague memories of the first national tour of The Color Purple, which began in 2007. That would have come through Cincinnati. I was in college at the time. The show did not make that big of an impression on me. I remember that the palette of the show was very Easter-colored in general. A lot of pastels. That's really the biggest takeaway that I had from that production. So I guess that tells you how much staying power the original version of this show had. Now let's transition into the 2015 Broadway revival. I, of course, listened to the Revival cast album. That production starred Cynthia Erivo as Celie, Joaquina Calucongo as Nettie, Danielle Brooks as Sophia, and Jennifer Hudson as Suge Avery. As always, if I'm mispronouncing any of these first or last names, I do apologize. Jennifer Hudson, another American Idol alumnus, was eventually replaced by the inimitable, using that word again, Heather Hadley, hello, Aida, and Jennifer Holiday. hello. She was in her 50s at the time. Prior to that engagement, Jennifer Holliday had appeared in a tour of The Color Purple as Sophia, which seems like a better fit for some reason. Actually, let Jennifer Holliday play anyone she wants to play. You want to play Mr.? Go ahead. Who am I to stand in the way of Jennifer fucking Holliday? Like Chelsea B. Sullenberger, the 2015 Broadway revival of The Color Purple asks, can we get serious now? That's the really important question here. Everyone involved sought to take this show to the next level, and they absolutely pulled it off. We will talk about this more during our score deconstruction. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about the 2016 Tony Awards performance of Mysterious Ways and I'm Here. This was introduced by the show's producer, Oprah Winfrey. She's back, baby. And she will introduce this show at the Tony Awards again if slash when we ever see another revival. The year is 2999. 
boot up the Oprah hologram. Maybe it's a robot. I don't know. But Oprah is going to do the introductions. You better believe Cynthia Arrivo receives a goddamn standing ovation at the end of this Tony Awards performance. She fucking more than deserved it. I have nothing but praise for Cynthia Arrivo. And then I want to wrap this segment up by saying I also watched season one, episode 148 of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, which aired on May 23rd, 2016. Hey, I didn't watch the whole thing, I should say. I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched Cynthia Arrivo's performance of... I'm here, of course. You better goddamn believe Arriva receives a goddamn standing ovation because she's fucking amazing here. Hers is an unqualified, perfect performance. Perfect. Unforgettable television. I always choke up without fail, no exceptions, and that process began anew with the lines, got my eyes, though they don't see as far now, they see more about how things really are now. You, you gotta, you gotta believe me, gotta, gotta. I was fucking crying. This clip was, at one time, only available via YouTube in an edited form. Does anyone remember this? Someone inserted shots of Oprah at the Kennedy Center Honors, I believe. I want to say, so annoying. Oh, the edited version drove me nuts. For the longest time, the original was just not fucking available. And, oh, ooh, I'm sure they were trying to skirt a copyright issue or something, but you cannot cut away from a Revo. No. <laughs> no. What a, what a sin. Stop it. You'll notice I have not mentioned anything about reading the 1982 novel by Alice Walker. You might notice that I, I did not mention the 1985 film. I thought about re-watching the film because God knows I gave myself a week of extra time, but I uh, uh, never got around to that. I have seen the movie once before, and it is pretty good, all things considered. The fact that Spielberg directed it is a, it's a fairly hard pill to swallow in 2022, isn't it? Which is why I'm excited to see Blitz Baswuli's film adaptation of the musical. Of the musical! A movie musical! Said adaptation, which stars the aforementioned Fantasia Barino as Silly, she's coming back. We also have Coleman Domingo as Mr. and Taraji P. Henson as Shug. That is set to be released in December of next year, 2023. I have not seen Baswuli's Black is King, the visual album led by Miss Beyonce herself, but I believe, I believe we can assume the director of a Beyonce visual album is capable of directing a major movie musical. I eagerly await his take on the material. I would like to see it. Oh, show me that. I would like to see it gif.
Jonathan Tunick's orchestrations for the original Broadway production evoke the fuzzy pop sensibilities of musicals from the 1970s and early 80s. Shows like Raisin and Pippin and The Tap Dance Kid. You can hear this influence in the overture, which you would have just heard it, an instrumental blend that sounds just outside the realm of 1930s Georgia. It seems a bit, uh, we're not invoking turn of the century early roots rock. These are anachronistic touches. That's just my opinion, one musical man opinion. One musical man's opinion, I should say. Ooh, I'm a man. The decision is not disastrous, okay? I'm not trying to make it seem as if this is a train wreck decision, but it is a minor distraction. Joseph Hubert dispensed with those two modern elements for the sake of the 2015 revival, and in doing so, achieved a sparser, more striking, and more authentic sound. Again, I'm no musical historian, I just don't think we needed the low funk tones of an electric bass. The vibe was off. It's just a little bit too modern, just outside the frame of reference. Again, not an expert, but here's the, it's just my instincts. I'm giving you my instincts as just, it's, it's me. It's Jonathan. It's one white gay man talking about these shows. It's a fucking grain of salt scenario you got on your hands. Okay. I accept all opinions is what I do, unless you're a bad person. <laughs> Maybe you're a, ooh, a bad person. No, 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 don't want to hear from you. Let's hear the song Mysterious Ways. I want to hear the revival version of this song. Patty, Benny, let's hear that. Mysterious Ways. When the king threw Daniel in the lion's den. The Lord works in mysterious ways. God sent a mighty angel, brought him out again. Yes, yes, yes. the Lord works in mysterious ways. When God saw the wicked, he knew what to do. original form, Mysterious Ways was just another ho-hum musical theater gospel number. It would have felt right at home within Leap of Faith. But the version found on the 2015 Revival album, that's what you just heard, that is nothing less than a minor revelation. The vocal arrangements and orchestrations demonstrate a greater sense of urgency and energy as if everyone involved, oh, I'll say it again, is determined to make their turn at the wheel count. We have to we have to improve this show in every way on every level. 2005 Broadway walked so 2015 Broadway could run. And they are running, baby. They are logging goddamn fucking miles is what they're doing. Alright, Patty, Benny, it is now time to hear the original Broadway recording of Lily of the Field. This is performed by the inimitable, <laughs> the third time's the charm, the inimitable LaShawns. Let's hear Lily of the Field. She got to go. No, Silly. No. Dear God, 
never gonna hear from her. Don't hurt her. Don't do this. You even try to find her. She be the one to pay. Don't forget me, Celie. Nettie, write to me. Yeah. I'll write you every day. Yeah. Nothing but death will keep me from it. Get off my property. Nettie! Your sister dead to you. Dead! You can't do this. You can't do this. Why? You do this. Dear God. What you done with my sister? LaShawn's is never better than on this track, in my humble opinion. She is portraying Celie as this collection of raw nerves that is barely being held together by her own will, her, her desperation to get through this pain and see something positive on the other side of it, experience some form of comfort and affection on the other side of it. Every single one of those nerves is screaming out for that sense of relief throughout Lily of the Field. LaShawn's earned that Tony Award with ease. I suppose if we were only going to give one award to this show, giving it to LaShawn's sounds about right. Why not? LaShawn's deserves a shelf full of Tony Awards. Seeley's ever-evolving relationship with God is one of the show's best throughlines. I was fascinated by that. You know, when she starts out, she has this very optimistic, pie-in-the-sky attitude when it comes to God, even when terrible, awful things happen to Seeley. She has this very optimistic sense of what God has in store for her, what God's plan is for her. Well, you know, it's God. It's up to him. I'm sure he's got it all figured out. And then that slowly morphs into a more skeptical concern. She is really, I mean, after a while, the deck is stacked against her. The negativity, the terrible things that have happened in her life are looming in front of her like a giant, it's a hillock. It's a hill of awful sitting right in front of her. And she says to God, what is going on? What is the, what is this supposed to be? Am I some sort of modern day fucking 
Job? I mean, I'm right here. I'm trying to talk to you. You're not really answering. And it's, it's fucking frustrating is what it is. And then that evolves into the third stage of it is, I hate you. I hate you, God. There's never an atheist quality in this storyline. There's no, there's no atheist moment for Celie. She never, she never says that she doesn't believe in God. She always understands that there is a God looking over her. But at this point, she says, God is just another man. He's another man who's shitting all over me, fucking pushing me and pulling me, throwing me around as if I'm a toy as if I'm just this amusement. And he's cruel. That's what he is. I now see God as this cruel force. But then at the end of the show, when Nettie and her children, Adam and Olivia, when they come back to her from Africa, at that point, she has, she feels as if she has no choice but to raise her eyes to the sky, as we mentioned. And she says, thank you. She says thank you to God because this is ultimately what she was hoping for. She thought to herself at the very beginning of this journey, well, I have to be I have to be headed towards something good, right? Even after all of this, there will be something on the other side of this, right? And fucking thankfully, I'm glad that she has this moment because otherwise, holy, how do you not despair? How do you not despair? I mean, if Nettie had never shown up with those kids, my goodness, I'm sure Celie would have been more than fine. At that point in the narrative, she has established that she loves herself. She has a whole song about it that we will hear in full. But I'm glad that if anyone deserved something really miraculous, it's, it's fucking Celie, right? Of course. She absolutely deserves it. The, I want to move on to the next song on our list here. This is Too Beautiful for Words. Let's hear the original Broadway version of that song. You're not ugly. You're the grace of God if us ever see it. You don't believe me. Miss Seeley, Miss Seeley, look here. Look at yourself. Mm-hmm. I've always been the kind of gal that had a lot to say. I says the things that's on my mind. Too dumb to shy away But you hush my mouth And still me With a song I've never heard I guess that means That you are just Too beautiful for words I've seen this life from high and low And all that's in between Been courted like a queen But when I see what's in your heart All the rest is blurred The grace you bring into this world Too beautiful for words You hide your head under your wing Just
The color purple is never better than when it focuses on Celie and her relationship with Suge. Too Beautiful for Words is... Oh, I mean, man, it's an incredibly effective introduction for Suge as a character. How could anyone resist someone who so easily and earnestly offers these words of affirmation? Ever since Nettie's departure, Celie has been worn down by an onslaught of no. Rejection is the umbrella theme for her entire existence. No, don't fucking do that. No, don't talk to me. No, you can't have that. No, shut up. No. And finally, my God, Suge is the first person who offers an unqualified yes. Suge looks her right in the fucking eye. There's this intimacy there. And she says yes to her. Yes, I see you and I accept you fully. Lock, stock and barrel, stem to stern, top to tail. How can you not love that sense of that romantic intimacy, that burning chemistry between between two people? That is that is the definition of theatricality and drama. That is so compelling. I love beautiful for words. I love the intimacy of it. That's all I have to say about it, okay? All right? I want to hear push to button. I want to hear push to button from the Revival Cast recording. Let's go. Now there's something about good loving that all you ladies should know. If you want to light your man on fire, you got to start it real slow. Keep on turning up that voltage to that man begin to glow. Like you're switching on the light bulb. Watch the juice begin to flow. to Jennifer Hudson because she is rattling every bone she can find within Push to Button. She's playing Operation, she's ripping out the bones, and she's rattling. Oh, she's rattling. But as a party number, I'm not convinced Push to Button, it, I'm not convinced it rates above a C+. Okay, even with Jennifer Hudson's, oh my God, her talents applied to the equation, it's not adding up to much. The mind wanders is what it does. It wanders. Something about it, I don't know if it's the length of the song, it goes on maybe a little bit too long, but it never achieves that fuzzy fucking percolating champagne quality. You never feel as if you're, you're getting off the fucking ground with this song. Again, I commend Jennifer Hudson for all of the effort she puts into it, but it's not for me. It's not a party number for for me. No, thank you. What about love? That's not a question I'm asking. That's the name of the next song, and I want to hear the revival version of What About Love? 
is than me who's floating away lifted up to the clouds by a kiss never felt nothing like
I mean, honestly, I don't know what to say outside of uh, this is completely winning. This is utterly lovely material. What did I say? Well, I mean, what did I say about Suge and Seeley? They are a dynamite combination. These characters and their material soar miles above the rest of the show. I don't, I don't care about Sophia, and I don't care about Mr. Sun. Hogarth, I don't, I, I can't remember his name. <laughs> Hogarth, I believe that's the child from the Iron Giant. No, I don't care about any of those people. All I really care about are Seely and Suge. They put the no small parts adage to shame. <laughs> no small parts? Well, not when you're talking about Seely and Suge. Everyone is small compared to them. Uh, these are my favorite lyrics from this song and maybe this entire show. No, just from this song. I'm going to narrow it down. I love these lyrics. I want you to be a story for me that I can believe in forever. Are you fucking kidding me? If someone, oh, if someone says anything, even remotely within spinning distance, of I want you to be a story for me that I can believe in forever, you better lock it down, baby. You better lock it down with that person because, ooh, you're never going to hear anything more romantic than that ever. Oh, what a fantastic number. What a great song. Let's hear African Homeland from the original Broadway cast album. to read, but some of the women have become suspicious of me because girls have never been taught to read here. Girls have never been taught anything at all. I don't understand everything they're saying, but what it sounds like to me is... What the stress you've been preaching? Why you trying to change us? They think I should be married. Girl, ain't nothing with no man. Why you making a big fuss? Need a husband and children. Are you gonna be nothing? I am nobody. But I am somebody Girls don't need education Sound like the white folks back home Let me know in your station But not my Olivia Oh, this is interesting Oh, okay Treating Africa and its people with dignity What? Ah, what a concept Okay, all right. So Africa, we don't have to define Africa solely by such ideas as, you know, rape and monkeys with bananas. And we don't have we don't have to make fun of African people and and their beliefs and their their way of life. Oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Wow. <laughs> Fuck off the Book of Mormon. Man, still mad about that, still mad about that, especially in the light of a number like African Homeland. Jonathan Tunick's orchestrations are painterly and transportive throughout this sequence. I love it. I am not a Jonathan Tunick 
hater, okay? Everyone out there who's like, ooh, what a hater. I'm not a hater. I understand he understood the assignment this time. And I understand when it's time to give credit, when it's due, and it's due right now. So I'm giving it to Jonathan Tunick. Thank you so much, Jonathan. These orchestrations are, ooh, they're just lovely is what they are. Uh, you know, we, we have not heard from the church ladies. This is a, uh, these, uh, this is a set of characters that we have not heard from, so I suppose we should now I want to, how about the track Church Ladies Easter from the original album? Let's hear, let's hear from the church ladies. That's such a lovely hat, a fine chapeau. Your style is so down pat, your pedigree shows. Those flowers look so real, fresh Easter blue. You've got that vamp appeal. About that sugar Avery, she would be hot yellow man. Sugar Avery, she would be hot yellow man. He got a really Avery. long car. He got a really big car. High yellow, high yellow, high yellow, high yellow, high yellow, high yellow. And what about poor child Seely? Who hoochie coochin' with who? The church ladies annoyed me while listening to the original cast album. They pop up, they pop up way too often is what they do, and they clutter everything up with their repetitive, unrevealing, and unfunny key is uh, that that's a key term right there unfunny observations i don't think they're funny ladies i'm sorry but you are not the urchins from little shop you are not the dynamites from hairspray or the fates from hades town now now did i enjoy the church ladies as performed on the revival album in a word we 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 carrie compare bray jackson and rima webb are far more grounded and three-dimensional than their broadway predecessors we do not need these women to be cartoons and that's what the revival understands the laughs you generate by turning them into cartoons are not the laughs you want i feel i feel that's i remember that now the cincinnati tour stop there were some laughs throughout that that were directed at the church ladies I don't know, it seemed like we were just playing with fucking stereotypes, and it didn't seem very human overall, so I'll just I'll throw that out there. I want to, we have two more tracks that I want to hear. The first, ooh, is What About Love, The Reprise. Oh, okay, so, actually, this is what I want to do. I want to compare the original Broadway production to the revival. I want to compare the performances of Elizabeth Withers Mendez and Jennifer Hudson. Not their singing, not their vocal performances, no, but simply as actors. I want to hear how they deliver this material in their own way. So let's start with the original Broadway production, and we'll follow that up with the same dialogue from the revival, okay? So you're going to hear Elizabeth Withers Mendez first, followed by Jennifer Hudson. Silly, all I ask is six months to have my last fling. But what about trust? I gotta have it, Silly. I'm too weak a woman not to. What about tenderness? But if you just give me six months, I'll try to make a life what together about what it was. Tears when I'm happy. When it's over, I'll come back to Georgia. What about wings when I fall? My heart hurts so much for saying this to you. You said you would be. I love this boy and I'm scared a story to die. for me. You know this boy's gonna hurt me twice as much as I'm gonna do it. Please. Oh, 
to have my last fling. But what about trust? I gotta have it, Tilly. I'm too weak of a woman not to. What about tenderness? But if you give me six months, I'll try to make our lives together. What about what? Tears when I'm happy. When it's all over, I'll come what back about to Georgia and leave me if you want. when I fall. My heart hurts so much saying you said you would be love this boy and I'm scared to A death. story for me. You know this boy. That I it's gonna hurt me twice as much as I'm hurting So what about Would you please forgive me and let me come back when it's over? No. You know I love you and you still do this. No. Okay, all right. Thank you so much again, Patty and Benny. Patty and Benny in the booth. We've got our five, six, seven, eight coffee. Well, I'm I'm drinking water and tea for the sake of this voice of mine, but we're all here, so thank you again. Now, the 2015 revival improves on the original in so many ways. We've we've made that clear, right? Of course. But Withers Mendez feels right at home within these moments of high drama, whereas Jennifer Hudson is merely muscling her way through them. I believe you would have heard it. It's something along the lines of, I am yelling, I am not capable of changing my intonation. For the love of God, let me sing. Jennifer Hudson, lover, not much of an actor overall. Singing, much better than the acting. I think we, I don't, I don't think that's unfair, is it? No, okay. So I want to hear, this is the last song we're going to hear today. It's I'm Here, and I want to hear the revival version from start to finish because this is Cynthia Arrivo at her best, and so I feel like you can't just cut this down. No, you don't. So let's hear it. Let's hear the whole thing. I'm here. Go. I don't need you to love me. I don't need you to love I've got I've got I've got my sister I can feel her now She may not be here But she's still mine, I know She still loves me Got my children I can't hold them now They may not be here But they still mine I hope They know I still love them Got my house It still keeps the cold My body can't hold out Got my hands doing good Like they supposed to Showing my heart To the folks 
Yes, I'm beautiful. And I'm here. Cindy Arrivo's recording is an irreplaceable piece of musical theater history full stop. Place it in a bunker for safekeeping. Send it into space for the aliens to enjoy. On the original album, I'm Here is an 11 o'clock number that knows damn well time is running out. It is a Hail Mary pass that prevents the show from tumbling into obscurity. Thank God for the presence of this song. The number may no longer be a diamond in the rough, thanks to all of the work that went into the 2015 revival, but it is undeniably the Color Purple's crown jewel. I mean, what, what is there? A, what, what, what can I say? You heard the whole thing. It's fucking classic. It's a classic performance. That's all I have to say regarding the score for the Color Purple. It is now time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor. We mentioned them a moment ago. 5678 Coffee. Take it away. 5678. Zuko, hey, come on, guys, stop messing around with me. Hey, hey, get your hands off the leather, okay, boys? Oh, oh, hey, everybody calm down, okay? Danny Zuko is here, boys. He's here to tell you about his red-hot date with Cindy. Oh, Cindy. Oh, it was a wonderful date. Oh, I gave her some loving. Oh, yeah. You know Danny Zuko. You know Danny. I'm the master of romance, babe. Come on. Oh, I was barking at a sweater puppy. All night long. Oh, well, wow. No, what are you talking about? Fucking shut up. I didn't take you to no goddamn Starbucks. I didn't take you to no Pete's Coffee. Shut the fuck up. I'm Danny Zuko. Hey, 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 what are you talking about? I got her some Primo 5670 coffee. And she was like, ooey, ooey, I want to give you a kiss. And I was like, babe, I'm not going to stop you. Come on. And you know what Sandy likes. Yeah, come on now. You know what? I've already told you guys. Come on, I've already told you, Sandy likes extra cream. Oh, she likes extra cream. <laughs> ah, you know I poured it on for her, baby. Oh, 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 oh. And, and come on, you guys, come on, don't worry me, tell you more. Tell you more, tell you more. I, there's nothing more to tell. Hey, a guy never fucks and tells, you know what I mean? Hey, maybe that was a little bit too much. I'm being explicit. Boys, do yourselves a favor. Here, I got some gift cards for you. Give cards for every single one of my T-Bird brothers. Do yourselves a favor. Hey, Kaniki, take Wizzo out the for fucking five, six, seven, eight coffee. Do yourself a favor. And uh, what the fuck are the rest of your names? Uh, hey, uh, Digit, come over here. Yeah, Digit. Hey, cause you only got one finger. Take this fucking five, six, seven, eight coffee gift card and take your girl out of your gang. That's cool. Hey, Danny Zuko does not discriminate. You got a boyfriend? Well, hey, don't worry about it. You don't have to have somebody to complete you. Hey, here's, do your do your Self a favor, fucking treat yourself. Five, six, seven, eight coffee, you can count on yourself. Oh, hey, 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 do me a favor, boys. Uh, hey, uh, Digit's giving me an idea. Why don't we go out behind the Burger Palace and stuff each other? Oh, uh, come on, go, let's go. Come on, Danny Zuko is canonically bisexual. Let's go. Oh, oh, oh.
Final thoughts regarding the color purple. Does anyone else feel this score is overstuffed? I meant to say this earlier, so I might as well say it now. I'm not convinced we would lose much if we cut the church ladies entirely. And songs like Any Little Thing, we would not have heard that, but it's sung by Harpo, that's it, not Hogarth, Harpo and Sophia in Act 2. That songs like that, they left me feeling restless a little bit too much, okay? Let's focus even more on Seely and Suge whenever possible. That's my, that's my recommendation. They are the abracadabra, the hocus pocus, the magic, if you will. When Seely and Suge are not on stage, everyone in the audience should be thinking, where Seely and or Suge? In 2006, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Jersey Boys, and the additional nominees that season were previous subjects of the podcast, The Drowsy Chaperone, and The Wedding Singer, which means we only have one show left from this set of nominees. Ah, Jersey Boys! <laughs> I am flummoxed by the Jersey Boys win. I don't get it. Do any of us feel good about that? Is anyone excited by that win? Purple may not be a top-to-bottom iconic show, but it's certainly more impactful and memorable than Jersey Boys. Yes, I'm not asking. I'm just saying, yes, it is. For now, I shall, I think I shall split the best musical medallion. Let's pretend as if there was a tie between the color purple and the drowsy chaperone. I can't pick between them, and so, yeah, you know what? Never mind. I am going to give it to the color purple. We're not splitting the medallion. No, no ties. No ties. I'm giving it to the color purple. Thank you very much. It is now time for me to rank the color purple against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast. As always, if you want to find our ranking, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. You will find our link tree. The link tree will take you to our spreadsheet. And on the second tab of that sheet, you will find our ranking. I am placing the color purple at number 49 between Con from Away at number 48 and Rent at number 50. Now, of course, all of this can change at a moment's notice. I keep telling myself I need to take another look at this list to see if anything should be shifted around, but I have not done that as of yet. It will happen at some point. Show-related ephemera, we're here. Your patience paid off is what it did. We are finally circling back to our music and lyrics team for the sake of this segment. So good, so right. That is the first song I want to hear in this segment. This is from Brenda Russell's 1979 self-titled debut album.
Right, So Right reached number 8 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary Songs chart, number 15 on the Hot Soul Songs chart, and number 30 on the Hot 100 chart. So, there you go. Information. Our next song is Right on Track by Breakfast Club, a group that featured Mr. Stephen Bray. song topped out at number 7 on both the Billboard Hot 100 and Dance Club charts. Now, I want to I, I wanna close out with a song by Ali Willis, who wrote songs for a ludicrous number of artists, including Debbie Boone, Sister Sledge, Jennifer Holliday, hello again, Gladys Knight and the Pips, and Cindy Lauper. Let's hear a fresh, ooh, a fresh slice of Neutron Dance, which Willis wrote for the Pointer Sisters. Willis also wrote a little tune called What Have I Done to Deserve This for Pet Shop Boys, a tune we featured on our $1 a month Patreon series, Radio Boy. I'll tell you a little bit more about Radio Boy in a moment, but that song is great. If you haven't heard that, ooh, Dusty Springfield, we stand. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, a brand new Shroud of Turin for Christmas. Everyone ready? Then away we go! (laughs) 
The subject of our next main feed episode was a 1976 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and it ran for 936 performances on Broadway. <laughs> this is a gigantic show. This is an enormous moment in the shows, in the podcasts, history, I should say, because, ooh, this is a titanic motherfucking battleship of a musical. This episode, I will say, if you're still racking your brains, this episode is going to drop Wednesday, January 4th, because we need a week to do a brand new episode, produce a brand new episode of M3, the movie musical, man, and then we're going to take a week off for the Christmas holiday. Now, are you still racking your brain? You still trying to think about it? It's Chicago! Oh, motherfuckers! It's time! It's time for us to talk about Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town, toddling town. Does my voice sound good? <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly Patreon payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. We don't keep any of that money. It goes right to the Action Fund is what it does. We have we have a few tiers that you can choose from. You can donate $1 a month, $3 a month, $5 or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday or access to all of these main feed episodes. Everyone else will have to wait until Wednesday. You'll get them on motherfucking Monday. Verbal shout-outs. You get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Oh, thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get 18 bonus episodes that are dedicated to the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus. Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, oh, a review of the trailer for West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, Annie Live, and The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. You also get season one, that's 12 episodes of Radio Boy, there it is, the show where I listen to, ooh, I check in with myself is what I do, via the non-music theater songs that make me feel more like myself. Songs like What Have I Done to Deserve This by Dusty Springfield and Pet Shop Boys. You also get all 14 episodes of M3 The Movie Musical Man, a series for which we watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. We've produced 14 episodes. We're producing two more. The next episode will drop Wednesday, December 21st, and the theme for that episode is The Little Debbie Trilogy. These are three movie musicals that star Debbie Reynolds herself. God damn it. It's Give a Girl a Break from 1953. It's Athena from 1954. And it's Hit the Deck 
from 1955. $3 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You get all 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, as well as a special one-off episode all about Julie and the Phantoms. Coming March of next year, a brand new eight-episode bi-weekly series for the $3 a month tier. Look out for it. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast, so long as we have not already discussed it, so long as it is a show that was nominated for the Best Musical Tony Award. You get seasons one and two. That's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, a show... It's it's an advice show is what it is, hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get all 14 episodes in our Broadway in Chicago review series and, ooh, volumes one through five of Shout About It. These are collections of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shout-outs from the first 125 episodes of the show. Finally, $10 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, all 12 episodes of season one of The Snub Club, a show dedicated to Broadway musicals that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and finally you get all 12 episodes of Turn It Off, a show dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to leave a five-star review. If you're streaming, that could be through Spotify, Stitcher, or Audible or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. In a pinch, you can use any of those options. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod. Email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in the both, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Oh, you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off and good night. 